Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for your spirit that is in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, hearts to receive what you have for us today. May we be bold. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Paul wrote to a struggling church leader, and we know it as the book of 2 Timothy. But in that book, Paul wrote to him, and he said, Timothy, you need to understand something about people, uh, particularly people who like spirituality or religion and things like that. He, he said, some people, some people, they have a form of godliness, or they act religious, they know all the religious language, they know all the religious moves, they know what you should do, they know the prayers, they know the stories, and they, and they act really religious, they look really religious, but there's a problem. They deny the power of God in their life. The power that God has to save a person. And whenever we find ourselves bumping up against someone like that, someone who has a, a religious spirit, a religious attitude, th there are some markers. They stand out in a few ways. Uh, for example, many times people who have a very religious spirit, they're very controlling. They want to control everybody. They want to control everything. They want to control how you worship, how you pray, how you serve, all that stuff. They just want to control as much as possible. Sometimes people who have religious spirits, they're just constantly critical. They're always criticizing everything that's going on. They criticize you. They criticize others. They criticize everybody but themselves. Sometimes people who have a religious spirit, they have this uncontrolled anger. They just lash out at people around them. Or sometimes it's the opposite. You never see their anger. What you see them doing is always playing the victim. Someone is always against them. The world is always against them. It's always someone else's fault. It's not their fault. Sometimes people with a religious spirit are just constantly insulting. They just insult everybody and everything in their wake, and no one seems to be safe around them. We know what it's like to run up against these types of attitudes, these types of personalities. And many times people mask them in religious boldness. But I want you to know what boldness really is. Whenever I say the word boldness, I want to tell you three things that boldness is not. When the Bible says the word boldness, it's not talking about these three things. Number one, boldness is not being a bully. Boldness is not being a bully. Some people think that they think they have more power than you, maybe positional power, or they have more influence than you in some way, meaning they have more friends on their side than they think you have on yours. Uh, and so they lash out at you, and, and that's not being bold, that's being a bully. They think they have more power, they think they have more influence, and so they say whatever they want to say, no matter the consequences, because again, they think they have more power, more influence, more people on their side. Uh, being bold is not being a bully. We don't want to be a bully. we got enough bullies in the world, right? Number two, being bold does not mean being mean does not mean being mean. Some people equate boldness with being mean. You do not have to be mean in order to be bold. You do not have to be mean in order to be bold. Some people are just mean. You're not bold, you're just mean, right? The third thing is it's not being a bully, not being mean. And number three is that if you're gonna be bold, boldness should not come from a place of fear. 
It should not come from a place of fear. Many times in life, we fear that we're going to lose something. And when we fear that we're going to lose something, uh, we, we kind of muster up the energy to, to you know, l say something, to protest, or whatever it is. And then we end up just causing more harm than good. We should never operate out of fear. Whenever the Bible talks about boldness, it, the kind of boldness that it's talking about, I would put it this way, it is when we have God-given convictions... Notice they're God-given. God-given convictions about things that have eternal consequences. Now, that's very important language. God-given convictions, meaning it's not my personal preference, it's not my desired outcome, it's, it doesn't originate with me. It's God-given convictions about things that have eternal consequences, not just consequences in this life. Whenever we have that, when we have God-given convictions about things that have eternal consequences, God always blesses that kind of boldness. Always. And so boldness, if you want a definition, boldness is the confidence and courage we have in doing two things. Number one, approaching God. That's a pretty bold move, right? He's holy, we're not, right? In approaching God, and then also fulfilling God's purposes in the presence of others. Boldness is about confidence that we have, courage that we have in approaching God and fulfilling God's purposes, God's eternal purposes in the presence of others. And in the presence of others does not automatically imply there's an enemy because you can be bold with friends, right? But, but many times enemies are present and that's exactly what we see here in Acts chapter 4. Now, when it comes to boldness, most of the time when we talk about boldness, we're talking about boldness in terms of being bold with a particular person or group of people in a particular situation. And one of the things that every one of us do at some point in our life is that we fear another person. We fear another person. And Scripture tells us over and over that whenever we live in fear of people, all it does is trap us. In fact, it literally says that. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. It traps you every time. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Whenever we live in fear of other people, we're trapped in three ways. Number one, we're trapped mentally because we constantly think about the person that we fear. And we, we don't say it that way, though. What we say is, well, they hurt me, they did something to me, and I just cannot get over it. If you cannot get over it, you're trapped. You're trapped. And whenever we're mentally trapped, that leads us to being emotionally trapped. And when we're emotionally trapped, you know, a lot of times whenever we're scared of someone, we just try to avoid them, right? But then there's situations sometimes where we have to be around that person. And whenever we're around that person, we're either very uncomfortable or we feel anger rising up in us. Whenever we feel that, whenever we cannot control our emotions we're, when we're around certain people, you're trapped. And then being mentally trapped and emotionally trapped leads to being spiritually trapped where our focus is on who we fear and not on God. What occupies our mind is the person or the thing or the situation that we fear and not God. That's why Hebrews 13.6 says, so we can say with confidence, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What does that mean? So I will have no fear. Who am I fearing? What can mere people do to me? When the Lord is your helper, you do not walk in fear. What kind of fear? Fear of other people. Now, you may sit there and you say, Chris, now wait a minute. People can do a lot of things to me. 
right? They can talk bad about me. They can try to ruin my reputation, right? People can actually do a lot of things to me. The right people can fire me. Yeah, but you do realize that none of that, none of those have eternal consequences. It was Jesus who said in John 10, 10, no one can take you out of my hand. No one. None of that has eternal consequences, which is why Paul wrote in Romans 8, 31, he says, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Who could ever be against us? See, it's God who always honors and vindicates a person who is carrying his convictions and living out his purposes. Who is carrying his convictions. Those convictions that have eternal significance. So, what we have to do in the meantime is we have to learn to live Proverbs 18.10. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. Get that image in your mind. A strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. The godly run to him and are safe. I love that phrase. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. A fortress, if it's done right, is designed to be able to protect you from an attack from any angle. Meaning, all different types of attacks that come your way. No matter what comes your way, you're going to be protected. And what Solomon says is the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. No matter the attack that comes your way from anybody, God will protect you. Again, it's safety. It's safety. And so all of this, I believe, is in the mind of the first followers of Jesus whenever we come to this text in Acts chapter 4. And there are three particular points in this text that, that I want us to look at, and I want to make three points about them, about boldness. And the first one is this. What we see from the early church here in Acts chapter 4 is that I am bold when I spend time with God. I am bold when I spend time with God. Now, if that sounds familiar from the past two weeks, you're starting to see a major theme in the book of Acts. And that is the early church went out of their way to make sure they were spending time with God. And they've been doing this as they walk with Jesus through his ministry and now as the church is exploding, we see them gathering together. They're together at Pentecost. They're together praying. We see them in pockets praying in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. And now we see them in this time of crisis praying together as believers as well. But I want you to look at Acts 4.13. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole book. You know, they, all this has exploded. People are upset that this miracle has happened and things like that. And then in verse 13, it says, The members of the council, they were amazed at something. They were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John. Throughout this exchange, while they're putting pressure on Peter and John, they're just kind of taken aback at their boldness. Now notice it says the members of the council. Okay, these are powerful people. These are influential people. And these are people that just want to be a bully. They just want to be mean. And they want to incite fear in Peter and John in the early church. They do not like this movement that is starting to take off and now has 5,000 people in it. But notice it says they were amazed. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And then not only that, it says... For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Meaning, they didn't go to seminary. Now some of you are sitting there going, what is seminary? Don't worry about it. You don't need to know. It's fine. It's a way of saying they did not have the world's qualifications on them. 
So why were they so bold? If it wasn't their education, what was it? Notice, notice. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Men who had been in the presence of Jesus. There was something about Peter and John on this day. Not just a memory of seeing them walk around with him. There was something about Peter and John on this day. They were recognized as people who had been with Jesus. You see, I am bold when I spend time with God. When I spend time with God. You know, whenever I spend time with God, I become what the Bible calls godly. Right? You see that word throughout Scripture. We become more and more like God because we are spending more and more time with God. I point that out because Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The wicked run away when no one is chasing them. <laughs> Think about that. The wicked run away when no one is chasing them. You know, when you have a guilty conscience, you fear the potential of fear. Okay? The wicked run away when no one is chasing them. But look at this. But the godly, they're as bold as lions. The godly are as bold as lions. Here's a story for you. Several weeks ago, you know, I'm, I'm working on messages weeks out, right? I'm, I'm working, I like to marinate on some of it. And uh, I've already told you I don't really write conclusions, but that's okay. Um, so several weeks ago, I was working on this, and I put this line in my notes. The godly are as bold as lions. And I thought, that is a great, great line. That's a great quote right there. The next day, me and Elizabeth, our minister of missions, we met with a mission partner from Kenya. His name is Fred. He runs an organization called Fred's Kids. It's an amazing mission partner that we have. They're doing amazing work over there in Kenya. And we have this great conversation where he's talking about everything that's going on in the ministry. And before he leaves, he says, Pastor Chris, I want to give you something. I said, okay, what is that? He said, I brought this from Kenya. It's a lion. He says, I brought this to you because Scripture says the godly are as bold as lions. And I thought, I think I'll leave that verse in that sermon. <laughs> See, when we spend time with God, we become more like God. We become godly. And those who spend time with God are as bold as lions, Scripture says. Which means we come to those places in life where it seems like pressure is happening all around us. And we can live out what the psalmist said in Psalm 138 verse 3. He says, as soon as I pray, notice that, as soon as I pray, you answer me. What's the answer? You encourage me. Notice that, encourage, instill courage. You encourage me by giving me strength. See, what I want you to see in Acts chapter 4 and also in our lives today, the boldness that we have that comes from God, it's not our own strength. It's not our own courage. We need it to be instilled in us. We need to be encouraged. We need courage to come from heaven and to fill us so that we have the strength we need. And then the first bold step that we have to take is that bold step in approaching God, in approaching God which can be a scary thing, I get it, in light of all of our sin and what we know about ourselves whenever we look at ourselves in the mirror and knowing who God is, it can be a scary step, but we're called to do it. We're called to do it. But I, I know some believers, they believe in their mind, but they're scared to death of the very idea of being in the presence of God or of God showing up in any way. And we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. The first bold step we should take is toward God. That's why Hebrews 10:19 says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly, there's our word, boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. 
Because of what Jesus has done, we can now enter into the presence of God in powerful ways, both in this life and in the life to come. We do it in worship. We do it in prayer. We do it in those private times of devotion. We do it when we're praying and fasting. We enter into God's presence in a special and unique way, and there's times whenever he shows up in powerful ways. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, Chris, I thought whenever we approach God, we should be humble and we should be reverent and we should be respectful. Absolutely, because boldness is not incompatible with any of those things. But the boldness that we have is that we can boldly step into God's presence because we believe that the Father sent the Son, the Son died in our place for our sins, and the Son sent the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit points us to the Son, and it's the Son that makes a way for us to go to the Father. That's Trinitarian theology, by the way. And when we believe that, we know that we can come into God's presence in powerful ways here in this life, and it makes us bold. Point number two is this, is that I am bold when I desire to fulfill God's purpose. When I want God's purpose in life above my own purpose. I love that verse in Acts 13. I believe it's verse 36. It said, David fulfilled God's purposes for his life and his generation. What an amazing thing to say. And I wish that we all could get to the end of our life and someone could say that about each one of us. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to fulfill God's purposes, there are three fundamental questions we got to make sure we know the answer to. The first question is, I have to ask myself, do I really want what God wants? Do I really want what God wants? Do I really want his will for my life? If I'm going to have God's will for my life, that is something I'm going to have to learn by the power of the Holy Spirit in me. This is not in your notes nor on the screen, but Colossians 3.10 says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Meaning as you learn to know your creator and become like him, in other words, as you learn to walk in his will. And the question is, do I really want that? Do I really want what God wants? Number two, the second question I have to ask myself is, am I really willing to follow wherever God leads? Am I really willing to follow wherever God leads? It's like I've heard people say that, you know, pray the prayer or make a statement, you know, God, I love you and I want to go to heaven one day and everything. Just don't send me to that country over there, you know. And I know that's, you know, we say that in jest or whatever, but a lot of times that's what we do. We say, God, I, I believe, I want to believe, but there are things I don't want to let go of. There are places I don't want to go. And the question is, are we willing to follow where God leads? Do we want his ways in our life? That's Proverbs 3. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Do we really want his way in our life, his will, his way? But the third question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to do whatever God asks? You know, Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. You are God's workmanship. Another way of putting that word is you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. The question is, will you do them when he asks you to do them? Do I really want what God wants? Am I really willing to follow wherever he leads? And will I do whatever he calls me to do? When you have that, when you can answer those questions in your life, then you can say, I want to fulfill the purpose of God in my life and not just my own purposes. This was the heart of the early church in Acts chapter 4. We see it in verse 29. They say in their prayer, and now, O Lord, we just prayed it while ago, hear their threats 
But notice they just don't start, they just don't keep praying about those people out there. No, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. In preaching your word. Lord, we, we want your purpose for our life, not our purpose for our life. Whenever we desire God's purpose for our life, whenever we want that above anything else, that's when the Father says, come to me. Ask anything that you need, and I'll give it to you. When we are asking things for things from God that are according to his will, that are according to his ways, that will help us accomplish his work, he always answers those prayers. And so we come to God and we pray for strength, for example. Just like they did in the Old Testament, they would gather in the temple and they would sing songs to him like in 1 Chronicles 16. Search for the Lord in his strength. Continually seek him. They were singing that in the temple because it was something they always wanted to keep before their eyes. While they were in the temple worshiping, God, we need you and we need your strength. Same thing today, same thing in the early church. We pray for God's protection. I, you know, I love, you know, the book of James was written to a persecuted church. I mean, they were scattered. There was persecution taking place everywhere. And I love how James, in James chapter 5, verse 13, he, he just says this little, little one-line, matter-of-fact sentence. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? They're all thinking, yeah. His answer is, you should pray. Just matter-of-fact, you should pray. But in the early church, they knew what that meant. They knew what that meant. They had seen it happen in their life, in their friends' lives, over and over. Hey, if you're going through something hard, pray, pray. You're either going to pray or you're going to panic, right? He says, no, just pray. You know exactly what to do. And whenever we're suffering hardships, God always answers those prayers. If we're going to be bold, we have to desire God's purposes. And then he invites us and he says, come, come ask. You know, one of the things that changed my life was when I realized that God has made promises that he will keep. He will absolutely keep them. He may not keep them in the way that I think he's going to keep them, but he's going to absolutely keep them. And whenever I learned this, it literally changed the way I lived out my faith. And I find it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. It says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything we need to live a life knowing him in relationship with him where we're becoming like him. He's given us everything we need. We have received all this by coming to know him. That's the learning piece. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence, verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you. Notice that phrase, enable you. Many times we want God's promises just to, Lord, you take care of something. No, no, no. These promises enable us to, number one, share in his divine nature, and number two, escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We no longer have to follow our own desires, our own purposes. We can now have God's. And God's promises enable us to live that out and walk that out in our life. Verse 5, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Peter says you have to keep the promises of God prominent in your life. You have to keep them in focus. And if I'm going to be bold, I can be bold when I desire to fulfill God's purposes. And whenever God's purposes come in alignment with God's promises, amazing things happen. The last thing I'll say about that is that if we're going to be bold and fulfill God's purposes, we have to constantly be looking at what God has done in the past. We just sang it in the song, Evidence. 
because it's God's past that makes us bold in the present. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 68, verse 28, Summon your might, O God. Display your power, O God, as you have in the past. He's saying, I know you've done it before. Will you do it again? It's a theme of my life. I believe that we can be bold when we spend time with God. Number two, we can be bold when we desire to fulfill God's purposes in our life. And number three is that I am bold when God shows up. When God shows up. Now, some of you, that just may scare you to death right now. But it's okay. But God shows up in our lives in powerful ways. Notice that in verse 29... The church is praying that you would give your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Verse 31 of chapter 4, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word with boldness. Prayer answered. Give your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Then they preached the word of God with great boldness. I touched on this last week. I want to touch on it again. Your view of God is going to fall into kind of one of two categories. You're either going to have a religious view of God where you believe there's a contractual agreement between you and God. There are things you will do. There are things you won't do. And God, one day, would you let me into that place called heaven with pearly gates and stuff? So God, there's things I will do, things I won't do. I'll try to do that and hopefully good will outweigh the bad. And then Lord, one day, will you let me in? That is, not, that is not what Scripture teaches us. Not a religious view, but a regenerational view. The doctrine of regeneration is that we are brought from death to life. That God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit lives in us and changes why we live, how we live, and most importantly, who we live for. And the old way of looking at that, the religious way of looking at that, it's all external and it gets us nowhere. But it's when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and empowers us, that's when our life changes. That's when our why changes and our how changes and our who changes in our life. And that's why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 12. He said the old way with laws etched in stone. Notice that, something external, a stone with laws on it. Not internal, external. Laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel cannot bear to look at Moses' face when he's coming down off the mountain with the stone tablets. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Notice, the Holy Spirit gives life something in us that gives life and changes how we live life, not just something on stone that's external that we need to comply to. Verse 9, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? The old way cannot make us right with God, but God the Holy Spirit can make us right with God. Verse 10, in fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which remains forever? This one's eternal. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very what? Bold. That's where boldness comes from. 
Boldness comes from me spending time with God. Boldness comes from when I want God's purposes, not my own. And boldness comes when God, the Holy Spirit, shows up in my life again and again and again in powerful ways. That's when we can be bold in the face of fear. That's when we can be bold in the face of anxiety. That's when we can be bold in the face of criticism or when people belittle you or when people mock you or when people threaten you or when people talk behind your back or whatever it is. That's when we can be bold, truly bold. Not being a bully, not being mean, not living out of fear, but bold in fulfilling God's purposes. When we are bold in approaching God, when we are bold in living for God, and when we, in that boldness, he shows up over and over and over again, it changes how we live. And we have to live our life and build our life with eternity in mind. And whatever we do, there is no temporal fear that can hold us back. So the question I end with is who are you afraid of? today who are you afraid of today God sent me a man from Kenya to give me a line and I put the same line before you who are you afraid of who is it What can they do to you that God cannot replace a hundredfold? Lord, may we not have fear. May we have the words of the apostles on our lips. If you are for us, who could ever be against us? So, Lord, in this moment of prayer and worship, I pray that no fear would reign in our hearts and minds. Lord, your word says that perfect love casts out fear and that you are love, which means you rule and reign in our hearts and minds. Lord, would you, you let that be so? And whatever fear that we are wrestling with today, may we turn it over to you. It's all about you, just you, only you, only you, only you.